to Rookie Road Cycling. If road cycling is your new hobby and you want to be better informed to get more out of it, then this is the place for you. I'm Lexi Rose and thanks for joining me. In this episode, we're going to be talking about buying a bike and the different options available, everything from different brands to different styles, frames, wheels, gears and so on. But before I do, just to say thank you for tuning in and for all the downloads up to this point. Uh, I'm aware that I'm already three podcasts in and this fourth one is the first with proper content. So thank you for sticking with it. Thank you to the bulk of my listeners who are in the UK and probably mostly still friends or friends of friends, uh, but also realise that I've got some international listeners. I checked the other day and there were downloads from the Netherlands, uh, from Belgium, Germany, US, New Zealand and Australia, which I find very exciting. So thank you for making Rookie Road Cycling a little bit international. Right, okay then team, no more waffle or intros, let's get stuck into this. So I'm assuming by the fact that you're tuning into this podcast, which is to help new road cyclists get started, that you may well already have a bike. Some of you won't, but most of you probably will. But the chances are for some of you, you're maybe borrowing a bike or got a hand-me-down or some other temporary arrangement. Uh, And for another bunch of you who are set up with your own bike, well, it never hurts to have half an eye out for what your next upgrade might be. So I thought it was worthwhile going through and an obvious starting point. Right, brand. Obviously, there are loads. Uh, Some of the main ones and most popular or common ones you'll see out there are Giant, Cannondale, Specialised, Canyon, Trek. Uh, There's also BMC and Cervelo. Then you've got other good brands like Pinarello, Bianchi, Feltz and Merida, also Focus and Scott, and the list goes on. I actually started out with a couple of Carreras from Halfords. It's not a bad place to start, but you may find you're soon after a bit of an upgrade. Halfords also do Boardman bikes, which are a bit of a step up. I got the Carrera because I wanted a new bike and my budget was basically as close to zero as possible. Uh, And I think I got the bike in a sale and paid about £200. So you can spend as little as that, or up to several thousand pounds. It depends what your budget is. So it's a good idea to know roughly how much you plan to spend. Obviously, more expensive bikes are generally lighter and stiffer, uh, where more expensive materials and better tech has gone into their production. So they give a an improved performance. Um, but generally speaking, you can get a solid entry-level road bike for about £500 and something pretty decent for say between £1,000 or £1,500. I'll cover the various parts of the bike in more detail in future podcasts but now just to cover some of the main bits in brief. Okay style of bike. Um, You'll see different road bikes or bikes that look like road bikes called different things like uh, endurance or sportive racing bikes, aero, TT bikes, triathlon, gravel, cyclocross, even touring and commuting. Um, They're all a bit different. You'll most likely be wanting a standard road bike, which may be more of an endurance style or maybe more of a racing style, depending on what you prefer and what sort of riding you're going to be doing. Um, Rather than going into all the differences and nuances here, I'm going to put a link to some useful information on the website. And in a later podcast, I will talk a bit about gravel riding, which is something that has recently really taken off. Uh, And the bikes are basically road bikes with a couple of key modifications. But as this podcast is really about road cycling, I'm going to I'm going to stick with that and traditional road bikes. 
so frame um, you'll find that the lower cost entry level bikes have an aluminium frame um, but a slight step up from that which I think is worth having is an aluminium frame but with a carbon fork a carbon fork will just make for a slightly more comfortable ride and will reduce the vibration from the road um, you can get a sort of halfway composite fork which is probably I think it's carbon and aluminium so not quite as good and just to be aware of that um, carbon frames they're lighter and they're stiffer and they give they do give a, a better ride quality um, they're great but you really don't need it when you're starting out um, when I upgraded away from my Halfords Carrera uh, I got a Cannondale CAD 8 and the CAD stands for um, Cannondale Advanced Aluminium Design which is a technology that Cannondale well they continue to pursue it and they've got their latest out now which is the CAD 13 and that the high-tech uh, flow modelling that they do allows them to test different tube profiles to adjust and perfect their shape. Um, as aluminium bikes are basically just tubes welded together, whereas a carbon frame is essentially one main piece. So yeah, that's it for frames. Just aluminium is, is great, but uh, worthwhile having a carbon fork. So group sets, the brakes and the gear system are the group set. And there are different brands, but the most common is Shimano. Um, and that's all I'll cover for now. You'll find at Shimano on the majority of road bikes, um, but the other main ones you'll hear of are SRAM and Campagnolo. So Shimano offer a range of group sets, a sort of hierarchy, um, and at lower end they're obviously cheaper, and then as you move up the hierarchy they become lighter and the shifting is nice and it's smoother. Uh, the cheapest, um, the lowest in the hierarchy is called Claris, and then you've got Sora going up to Tiagra, then 105, Altegra and Jura Ace at the top. Um, and you also get more gears. So Claris has eight gears, Sora nine, Tiagra 10 and the others all have 11. So chain rings and cassettes are key components of the group set. Again, more detail to follow in other podcasts, but basically for most people new or relatively new to road cycling, then you'll be looking for a chain ring um, and that's the bit at the front that the chain moves around. Um, you'll want a 5034, which is also known as a compact chain ring. Um, and that just means it has 50 teeth on the big ring and 34 teeth on the smaller ring. Um, and then for the cassette, so that's the bit in the middle of the back wheel that the chain moves around. Um, a good one to start with is an 1132. So the smallest sprocket has 11 teeth and then you get 8, 9, 10 or 11 sprockets, each one representing a different gear, up to the biggest which has 32 teeth. So this combination of chain ring and cassette will be great for almost any gradient you're likely to encounter. Um, and compared with other options available, it will give you most teeth on the back and fewest on the front, which is what you want for the most sort of friendly gears. That said, you may still find that you spin out on the downhills and that you don't have enough gears to get uphill, although we all run out of gears going uphill. Um, improving fitness will help with that to an extent. Uh, hills are always hard. Uh, you just get slightly quicker at getting up them. Right, so brakes. Um, just for now to say that you can get rim brakes or disc brakes. And the difference being that uh, disc brakes offer slightly more efficient stopping um, so an advantage if you're riding in particularly hilly areas or with with steep descents or riding in wet weather um, but they're they're very slightly heavier um, and a little more expensive so yeah and rim brakes used to be much more common but there now seems to be a bit of a shift towards disc brakes now but but that's all I'm, I'll, I'll say on it 
Right, wheels. Uh, well, even really decent bikes can come with very average stock wheels. Um, it's the thing that most people are likely to upgrade and that makes the, a big difference when you upgrade. So manufacturers usually don't bother with putting good wheels on their bikes. Um, and then tyres, which obviously is part of the wheel. Uh, obviously, these can be easily changed and upgraded too. The only thing to note, um, and that's worth checking when you buy your bike, is that the bike has the capacity to take up to, say, 28 mil tyres. Um, 25 is okay too, but a bigger tyre will give you a lower rolling resistance, so you get a little bit more for a little less effort. Um, people used to commonly ride skinnier tyres like 21 mil or 23, but recently bigger tyres are much more popular and 25s or 28s uh, are, are more the norm. The saddle, uh, something else you may want to swap out or invest in some really good quality cycling shorts uh, with a great seat pad or even better do both. Uh, we'll talk about cycling shorts um, a bit later on this month. Pedals. Oh, wow. That's a big old subject for new road cyclists. Uh, the dreaded clipping in and out. Your bike may not come with pedals, but whether it does or doesn't, uh, you'll need to make a decision on what to do. I started with mountain bike pedals and cleats, um, the cleat being the bit that's on your shoe that connects to the pedal. Um, and Shimano call them SPDs. They're really easy to clip in and out because they're double sided. And I still use them now, actually, particularly cycling around London or anywhere where you're going to be clipping in and out quite a lot and you don't want any stress or hassle. But if you're happy to give proper road bike pedals and cleats a go, then it's good to get used to it early on. Everyone, and I mean everyone, I think, has fallen off their bike when they haven't been able to unclip in time. It's usually at traffic lights or in front of a big crowd of people, um, but don't worry about it. Everyone has done it. Okay, so there's also uh, women's specific bikes. Um, they almost always have the same frame, but with some minor modifications such as narrower handlebars, a slightly shorter reach or shorter cranks, which is the arm that the pedal is connected to. But probably only something you actually need if you're quite petite or have very narrow shoulders, etc. If your proportions are fairly standard, then even if you're small, you'll probably fit a standard small bike just fine. But yeah, something to be aware of. So talking of bike size, um, on the whole, this varies between 48 centimetres and 62 centimetres. And to give you an idea, um, I'm five foot six and I ride a 51 centimetre bike. But in different brands, I've had between a 50 and a 54 and also other manufacturers call them call their frame sizes different things like small, medium and large, which obviously corresponds to a different measurement. Using rough guides available online is fine, but check brand and model specific charts as well. Your height is a good guide, but it shouldn't be your only guide. Um, it will vary between manufacturers. And as I said, women's specific can be a little bit different again. If you're between sizes, then whether you go up or down depends a bit on what you feel you'll prefer probably go larger if you want something that's a bit more stable or a bit more upright but go down the size if you feel like you want something that's just a little bit racier. Okay so there are two key measurements that make up the bike size as well, um, the stack and the reach. The stack is a vertical measurement and the reach is a horizontal measurement. Um, stack is mostly about leg length and reach about arm length but it also depends on the length of your back and your flexibility, but it's just worth being aware of that and checking out the measurements of the bike you're thinking of getting. 
although it is a little bit academic in a way, different manufacturers will have different stack and reach for the same frame size. For example, one of my 51 centimetre bikes has a stack of 515, whilst the other is 530, uh, and then a reach of 382 compared to 369. And I find they feel the same and are equally comfortable to ride. So it just depends, but it's something that might be worth checking. Um, which brings me on to my next subject, taking a test ride and visiting your local bike shop. Obviously, so much stuff is done online these days, and actually a few bike manufacturers, such as Canyon, operate only online, so there's no chance of a test drive. But for a first bike, it's good if you can take it for a little spin before you buy, um, even though this is sometimes a little bit daunting. Um, like, you know, when you go and buy running shoes and they make you run up and down the high street, and you're far more... Uh, far more focused on who's watching you and not falling off the curb than you are on anything about how the shoe feels. But um, I think actually the first time I did this, it was fine. It was at Treads in Cardiff, a sort of out of town place, and there was plenty of room for a little circuit. Uh, but yeah, sometimes it's just not an option. So even just to sit on the bike, someone will hold it while you get into a riding position just to see how it feels. And that's really worth doing, um, both for you and so the friendly bike shop person can advise you on what they think. Also on that, it is worth getting to know your local bike shop um, and buying from them, uh, just because then it's easy if you have any issues with getting set up. Um, they'll probably do a deal on your first service um, and you can usually jump the queue a bit if you have any problems or queries or when you want upgrades down the line. Um, and all those things are definitely worth a lot. Okay, buying second hand. Mm, um, nothing wrong with that, uh, as long as you're happy with taking a bit of a risk. And as long as you're absolutely sure, as possibly you can be, that it's a genuine sale and uh, not stolen. I think you can judge a lot from asking the seller some good questions. You can make a fairly good judgment just based on the advert and with the communication you have with the seller. A genuine cyclist will usually have a good advert with the spec of the bike and also any upgrades they've made. And when you ask a question, they will know the answer. Um, and they may say how many miles they've done and mention any noticeable scratches to the paintwork or, or what have you. And they'll probably also say how much they love the bike and how sorry they are to see it go, um, maybe. <laughs> and yeah, but even so, there's definitely a risk there. Um, if you get it home and after a week or a couple of weeks, uh, you realise that there's something wrong with it. Well, then what do you do? Also, I think it's OK to ask for a test ride. Um, just take it up and down the road if that's possible. And yeah, just give it a good check over, check the condition, check the for rust and dents um, and maybe shift through the gears. Uh, and if it all looks OK, then chances are it probably is. It's then not a bad idea to take it to your local bike shop for a, a basic service. So I think buying secondhand is OK. And actually already this year I've sold a couple of bikes to work friends. And last year I sold a couple of bikes on eBay. So it's certainly something I take advantage of. Uh, it's good to be able to find a good home for your bike when you want an upgrade or when you fancy a change. That said, my preference would definitely be to buy new, uh, lower risk, uh, warranties, etc. intact. And above all, just getting a shiny new bike built especially for you, fresh out of the box. Well, it doesn't get much better than that. Okay, cycle to work schemes. Gosh, it's something I've never got really got my head around. Uh, but someone actually asked me to include it and I thought it was a good idea. So I've done a little bit of research. 
Um, it's something I've actually looked into several times in the past. It seems like a really good idea, right? You know, get a bike for less, but I've just never gone through with it. Um, so a summary, I've made a few notes. Here we go. So different retailers or bike shops use different schemes um, and most use more than one scheme. So, for example, there's Cycle Scheme, Bike to Work, Cycle Plus, and there's several more. And then it's up to your employer uh, which scheme they enrol in, which will therefore impact your choice of bike shop and therefore the choice you have on brand. And then different schemes operate slightly differently, but it always involves some sort of interaction and contract between you, your employer, the bike shop and the scheme. So basically, you find out which scheme your company runs and visit the bike shop that operates said scheme or go online. And then they provide a quote for the cost of the bike, which is redeemed via some sort of voucher, which is issued by the scheme once they have agreement from both you and your employer. Your employer then begins salary sacrifice. And obviously, this is the big deal, right? And the saving. It's that these payments are exempt from tax. And then depending on which tax bracket you sit in, your savings will either be more like 32% if you're a basic rate taxpayer, and then more like 42% if you're a higher rate taxpayer. And you save by not paying tax or national insurance on these monthly payments, or rather, so yeah, the salary sacrifice is made from your gross salary rather than your net salary. And then you pay it off usually over the course of a year. So it's kind of like a bike hire with an interest-free loan. And normally, after this year or this hire, you're per- you purchase the bike from your employer and usually for a, for a tiny fraction of the original cost, what they call fair market value. Again, I think that part varies, so you'll need to check. So this was originally set up to promote cycling to work, which is why your employer is technically still the bike owner after the hire period. I thought it was funny that some schemes say that there are rules on how much you have to use the bike for actually cycling to and from work. But honestly, like who's checking? I don't know. Um, No one. And so there used to be a spending cap of a thousand pounds, but this was removed last year. Um, And I think also there used to be a reasonable wait between you visiting the bike shop and actually getting your hands on the bike. But now they say it's about one to two weeks. Having said that, of course, stocks are a bit depleted at the moment um, because obviously so many people have been out getting themselves kitted out with bikes. So that wait may be longer right now. Then there's a few other things, you know, what happens if you leave the company? But I think in that situation, mostly um, the remaining balance on the bike is deducted from your final net salary. Uh, But obviously these things vary from employer to employer. Hopefully that helps. Um, Maybe just rewind that bit and listen to it again if you're still a bit confused and if you need to. Oh, okay. I forgot about this bit. Um, Last, but by no means least, colour. It is important. Don't care what anyone says. Um, Just like with pretty much anything else you buy, it matters how it looks. I could find a bike that's perfect for me in pretty much every other way. But if I don't like the paint job, well, then I won't be buying it. Um, Some people, I guess, won't be so bothered by this, but just don't feel bad about saying you don't like the colour or that it's just uninspiring. I always have my bikes in the house and so it's sort of like art to me. So it matters that it looks good, whether that's the colour or just more the style and the shape. So just saying. All right then. So I'm going to put all of that into a little bit of a summary. 
the main, the key points to remember from all that. Right, it really depends on your budget, but frame. Aluminium is a great start and carbon forks are worthwhile. Group set. Shimano Sora or Tiagra is absolutely fine. A step up from that is 105, uh, which is actually considered the first sort of performance group set in the hierarchy. A chain ring of 5034 and a cassette of 1132 is a good combination. Not just for a beginner, but you're pretty likely to stick with that even when you come to upgrading your bike. It's suitable for everybody unless you're crazy fit or, or the opposite of that. Brakes, uh, rim is fine and a bit cheaper, so probably go with that. Again, it comes back to your budget. Uh, disc is a, a nice to have. Wheels, well, whatever it comes with, we can worry about upgrading at a later date. Same goes for saddle, pedals, handlebars and everything else. It can all be switched out, so just accept whatever the bike comes with. You really don't need an amazing bike to start. Just get something decent, make a few upgrades, and then when you're ready, you can get a better bike. And actually, it's really handy to have a second bike then, or you can you can sell it, you can donate it. There are plenty of worthwhile bike donation charities around the country. Um, I donated one of my bikes to a place in Cardiff, and I was very pleased to do that. Oh, and a bike fit. So this is something that's talked about a lot, um, and I haven't mentioned here. I will do in a later podcast. I think it can be a lot to spend when you're just starting. I would say do it if you want, but otherwise save it for your upgrade and then you'll have spent some time in the saddle and know what things, if any, are causing you little issues. You can get a good idea about the right size of a standard bike um, by using the rough guides and then just try a couple of bikes out too. Make friends with your local bike shop. Uh, you will need them. Beware of buying secondhand and if available to you, look into your company's cycle to work scheme. Gosh, that was a biggie. Right, a lot to get through. Uh, next week's will be a little less full on and a little bit shorter, I think. So that's it for this episode. Don't forget to tune in on Monday when we will be talking about route planning. So thanks for listening. Hope you've got something to take away. Don't forget to tell people, share our love for cycling. Please follow us on Facebook and Instagram. And you can also find us on LinkedIn and of course the website cyclebean.cc. Stay safe, rookie roadies. See you next time.